Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Amen. Praise God. Romans chapter 8, if you would, please. I was inspired or impressed to preach along this line tonight, and I know it's for a reason. And that reason, I'm sure, is in this congregation somewhere. Amen. So, praise God. I'm glad you came. Amen. <laughs> Glory. Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at verse 16 in a moment. But first, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a difficult situation that left you confused and unsure about what direction you should go in? Someone said daily. (laughs) Have you ever been there before? Maybe you've prayed. Maybe you've studied the Word of God. But still, you don't know exactly what God would have you to do. You don't know what decision to make. You don't know which way to go. Have you ever been there before? Many times we all have, haven't we? Well, sometimes all you need to do is just go right to the Word of God. Right to the Word of God. And the Word of God has the solution to your problem. The Word of God will tell you exactly what you need to do in your situation or in your circumstance. And He through His Word, will eradicate all the confusion from your life. And we thank God for that. Amen? When it's written right there, plain before us, in the Word of God, all we have to do is follow the instructions. All the confusion is gone, and our situation is remedied. Amen? And that quite easily. I remember one time when I first came to the Lord and began experiencing changes in my life. I was in a situation where I was confused about what God would have me to do with regard to water baptism. I was baptized as a baby, but then at the age of 24, I accepted Christ as my Savior and Lord. And now that I was a born-again, blood-washed child of God, wanting to serve Him with all my heart, I didn't know what to do about the fact of water baptism. And so, really just being young in the Lord and not really knowing the Word of God, I just began to ask people. And a lot of people that were really older in the Lord than I was didn't know what I should do. They just kept saying, well, you have to do what's in your heart to do. And I didn't really understand that kind of language at that time. You have to do what's in your heart to do. I said, well, does that initial water baptism as a baby cover it? You know what I mean by that? Does that cover it? Or do I have to go through the process again? And so I did like so many people do when they're young in the Lord. I just picked up the phone, called the 700 Club. At least at that time, that's all I knew to do. People around me didn't seem to have an answer. And I got one of their counselors, one of their well-equipped counselors, and well-taught in the word counselors. And their response to me was, what do you think you should do? I said, that's why I called you. To find out from you what I should do. They said, well, what do you think you should do? We can't tell you what to do. We're not set up to do that. You need to do what's in your heart to do. And I still didn't understand that language. See, the Holy Ghost was really leading me to the Word of God, but I didn't know it. And all I was looking for was for someone to tell me what the Word of God said on the subject. Now, had I done a study on water baptism, I probably would have had my answer right away. But I was really confused. You have to understand I was just saved. Came out of a particular background. Having been baptized in water as a baby then. Sprinkled and that sort of thing. And now that I'm a born-again Christian wanting to do everything right, I'm thinking, if I do it, am I... Disregarding what I did before, am I violating something that God doesn't want me to violate? You understand where I was coming from? I was confused, didn't know what to do, 
wanted to do the right thing but didn't want to do the wrong thing. So finally, I took up the advice of those people and I got right into the Word of God. I found out what the Word of God said on the subject and once I found out what the Word of God said, all my confusion was gone. He said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And I thought right there, well, I didn't believe anything the first time. I believe this time. So if I believe, I should be baptized. To make a long story short, I got baptized as a result of just going to the Word of God and, and solving my problem. I was no longer confused. I was blessed. God the Father was well pleased. Amen. That's just one example of going to the Word of God to find out what God would have you to do. How to eliminate or eradicate confusion from your heart and from your mind, from your life. Now, other times, if you go to the Word and try to find your problem or the answer to your problem, you'll come across this. You'll discover that the Word has nothing to say on the subject. It doesn't even deal with the issue. Generally speaking, there may be some things there, but specifically speaking, it does not tell you what to do. Like, for example, who should I marry? Well, generally speaking, the Bible says don't be equally yoked together with the non-believer. So I can tell you right off the bat, if he or she is unsaved, don't even think about it. Because that's what the Word says. See, that's direction from the Word of God that will solve part of your problem. But specifically speaking, who should I marry? Don't you go flipping through those pages and find, oh, Mary. Mary may not be the one you should marry. Just because your Bible plopped open to that page that, you know, said Mary somewhere. Think about it. You might try that theory and you might be a guy and you plop it open to Peter. <laughs> then what would you do? You'd probably do it again. You might get Paul. Where should I live? What career should I pursue? Well, you see, the Bible isn't, isn't clear on that. We don't have specifics like that in the Bible that says, you should go to Youngstown State University and take up engineering. It doesn't say that. And so there you are, confused, not knowing what to do with your life, what direction you should go in or what you should pursue, what decision you should make, but you certainly want to believe God and you certainly want to, to please God with your life and you want His involvement in all the affairs of your life. But here you are, going to the Word of God and it says nothing about your situation. Now, what are you going to do? Well, there has to be an answer. You see, beloved, what holds us back from making a decision is our inability to know what is the right thing to do. And that's why a person will stay confused. Because they don't want to make the wrong choice. They want to make the right choice. But they just don't know what is right and what is wrong. And so, they are surrounded by confusion. Don't know what to do to get out of the confusion. Don't know what to do to find the answer to their question. Beloved, knowing that we're doing what God wants us to do is a sure foundation upon which our faith rests. If you have never heard that before, you write that down as a golden nugget. Knowing what God wants you to do is the, is the sure foundation upon which your faith is going to rest. You need to know that you are in the will of God for your life. You need to know that God is directing your steps. Telling you that this is the way, walk ye in it. Why? Because if you don't know that, you're going to have an enemy that will try to hinder your success. To interfere with what God would have done in your life. 
If you don't know that God is in it from the word go, you are going to have a shaky foundation. It will not be sure. It's like building on sand. And when the storm comes, what happens? Devastation can come. The house can collapse. And I guarantee you, if you've ever set out to do anything in this life, there will be challenges. And you know it. There will be hindrances. There will be adversity. There will be roadblocks. There will be mountainous terrain. You'll be in a place where you are going to have to stand firm in what you believe and in what you know, not think, but know to be the will of God for your life. It is more important to spend more time finding out the, God, the will of God than it is trying to get out there and perform it. Why? Because you could be spinning your wheels. And also, you won't be any match for the forces of opposition. Knowing that you're doing the will of God for your life is the sure foundation upon which your faith is going to rest. It is the sure foundation that will ensure your success. It will assist you in standing against adversity. It will give you boldness toward God and confidence toward every strategy of the enemy. Anytime I have set out to do something I knew that God wanted me to do, I was already prepared for opposition. No, I'm not believing for it. No, I just know the enemy. You set out to do anything good for God, anything that will promote His kingdom, you will be challenged. And that is a fact. Knowing that God is in what you're doing gives you boldness in His presence. Gives you confidence toward your enemy. And in the midst of all the adversity, in the midst of all the satanic attack, in the midst of all the strategies Satan is hurling your way, all the fiery darts and the missiles... You will stand there strong, firm, unshakable in your faith and you will say, I know that I know that I know that my God is in this. I am not backing off. I am not caving in. I am not giving up. I am not fainting in my mind because God is in this. And Father, you said, that this is what you would have me to do, and therefore I know you've got to watch over your word and work to perform it Amen. in my life. And devil, you might as well just pack your bags, because as far as I'm concerned, I'm not moving. I'm not budging. You are not going to intimidate me in any possible way. That's all there is to it. Amen. But if you're unsure, you know what you'll be like? The double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, being tossed to and fro. Now, let me think. I, I thought God wanted me to do this, but you know, if, if God wanted me to do this, look at all the opposition that's coming against me in this life. I, I, maybe this isn't really what God wants me to do. I'm just not sure. You see what happens there? How are you going to stand against a mean devil with that kind of an attitude? You can't. You won't be confident. How we be bold toward God to say, Father God, look, you're the one that ordained it. You authorized it. You've got to perform it. Amen? I'm no match, but you are, and you've got to bring it to pass. You're in this thing. I can't do it alone, so I'm looking to you. And I found somewhere in the Bible where it says, you will fight for me. You will defend me. You will protect me. You'll make me a success if I do what you said. Amen. So therefore, I'm looking to you. See, we, you have boldness and confidence when you know God is in it. Think about the Apostle Paul. 
Jesus told him he would have to bear his name, take the gospel to the Gentiles, to preach before kings, didn't he? Yeah. He let him know that from the beginning. So you can imagine this. Oh, yes, I will preach before the kings when I go into their court and I go into their throne room. They're going to feed me. They're going to take care of me. They'll feed me grapes. I'll have servants. They'll want to hear what I have to say. They'll know I am the mighty one sent by God. Right. Who are you kidding? No, no, no. That's not the picture at all, is it? Paul, you've got to know what great things you are going to suffer for my name's sake. Now, I told you to do it. You are in my perfect will. But I want you to know something. It's going to be tough. It won't be a cakewalk. You are going to have to stand your ground and you are going to have to fight the good fight of faith. Paul knew that. And he was met with opposition everywhere he went whenever he tried to preach the gospel and promote the name of Jesus Christ. Correct? So he indeed was in the will of God, but in that place of being in his will, knowing that God told him to do it and that God was in it, he was bold toward God, confident toward the enemy. Can you see that? Think about it. If he was unsure of his position, he would have fainted rather than be successful. Right? And so what did that knowledge of the will of God serve as in his life? The sure foundation upon which he stood. And in the tough places, sometimes that's all you've got to stand on. Let the floodwaters rise. Let the wind blow. I'm not moving. God is in this thing, and He is going to put me over. Beloved, I want you to know something very important. And that is the fact that the Word of God and the witness of God's Spirit are two different things. And even though they're two different things, both of them are vital to our walk with God. Both of them. We are to be students of the Word, yes, but we are also to be students of the Spirit. You see, sometimes you can be out there thinking that you're acting on the Word of God. Applying the principles of God's Word, doing everything exactly the way it ought to be done, yet there's a witness in your spirit that tells you something is wrong. Rather than to deceive yourself into thinking that all is well because you're acting on the Word of God, it would do us good to pay heed and give attention to the Holy Ghost as He is witnessing to our spirits that something is wrong here. See, beloved, sometimes Christians need to understand the difference between what is Satan hindering them and what is the Holy Ghost forbidding them. Do you hear that? Paul said the, that Satan hindered him as he set out to do certain things. But he also said, I, would come to, I was going to come to you, but the Holy Ghost forbid us to do so. See, the Holy Ghost can minister to us in such a way that he says, look, something is wrong here. Don't walk that way. Or change what you're doing. Because it's not going to work out the way you think it's going to work out. Now, I've had this happen on different occasions. And on one occasion, I stepped out on the Word of God to do something. I lined up all the scriptures, got them all together, collected them and fed my spirit with the Word of God, acted on the Word of God like I normally would in any situation. But as time went on in thanking and praising God for the answer, you know what happened? I had an uneasiness in my spirit. And you know, when you're acting on the Word of God, you think anything that interferes with what you're saying... It's of the devil. Man, that's just the devil trying to hinder me. Are you sure? 
It could be the Holy Ghost trying to prick your heart. Trying to let you know that something is wrong here. And that was the case in this one situation. And you know what? I took inventory. I went over the whole situation step by step because I had this indication within my spirit that I knew the Holy Ghost put in there as time went on. And you know what happened? I recognized I had made a mistake along the way. And there I was thinking I was acting in line with the Word of God when in reality I wasn't. Something was interfering with my receiving the answer or the need met. I took heed. Like I said, I took inventory, took heed, did the right thing, turned that thing around, and the very next day I received my need met. So listen carefully. The Word and the Spirit are different, but they're both vital to our lives and to our walk with God. And if we want to be successful, not only must we learn the Word of God, we also must learn how the Holy Ghost leads us or directs us or even forbids us to do certain things because maybe we think we should be doing it, but in reality, something is amiss. Something is wrong here. Now, in this verse, Romans chapter 8, I want you to see something. In verse 16, it says, The Spirit itself or Himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If we want to walk in the full knowledge of the will of God for our lives, not only must we know the Word, but we also must know the Spirit. And the Spirit will witness to our spirit, not only that we are the children of God, and that's the most important thing in our lives, He'll also witness unto our spirit direction, Guidance, green lights, red lights. In other words, He will act on the inside of our being to let us know when we're doing the right thing or when we're doing the wrong thing. What step we should take, what step we shouldn't take. What course of action we should or should not follow. That's what He's in there for. And it requires developing sensitivity to His witnessing to our spirit that makes us a success. See, God wants us to walk in the knowledge of His will in all wisdom. So that we can please Him in all that we do. But if we're in this state of confusion and we don't know what God would have us to do and the Word is not clear on it, Beloved, we have got to rely on the ministry of the Spirit and His working within our spirit. There is no substitute for this. We need to train ourselves to be sensitive to the witness of the Spirit and to flow with the witness of the Spirit and to know the witness of the Spirit. And if we don't develop that within our lives, then we are placing ourselves in a disadvantage, a place of disadvantage before the enemy. He'll play havoc with your, with your life. There's no question about that. Why? Because we haven't done our part. And that's what this is all about tonight. I want us to, to become more sensitive to the witness of His Spirit. Knowing that this as well as going to the Word, is one of the primary ways God leads us and directs us. There was an individual that came to our church. This was years ago. And he ministered here. Then after he, he was about to leave at the airport, I kind of keep things to myself. I don't just blurt things out. He was talking about doing this and this and all these different things that he had going. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And, you know, sometimes when you listen to ministers talk, my goodness, they're just doing so much, so much, so much, you kind of wonder, is it all of God? I'd rather be slow and behind and be accurate than to get out ahead of God than anything else in the world. What about you? 
He said he was doing all these things. And finally, I just, I know it was the Holy Ghost that prompted me to do it. I just said, brother, what's most important is to be in the center of God's will for your life. And he just looked at me and did a double take. He said, what did you say? I said, the most important thing for you to be doing is the perfect will of God for your life. That's what's important, to be in the center of God's perfect will for your life. Amen. There are a lot of good things, but they're not all God things. Right. Take one of the O's out and make it a God thing, and that's what's good. To do what God wants you to do. Well, I had heard about him sometime later, like about a year had gone by. And all the things he said he was going to do, he started them all and they all fell through. Think about that for a moment. See, it's easy to get excited about the things of God. And to become zealous for the things of God. Get on fire for the things of God. But God doesn't want one person doing it all. Amen? There are specific things He wants us to do, and that's what we should be doing, regardless of what it is. Well, this person, I don't know whatever became of him after that, but I know that all those different things... I'm not talking about small things. I'm talking about starting a church in a, in a particular city for three months and it falling through. I mean, you don't just start your own church because you have a notion to start your own church, right? You just don't do that. God has got to be in it. It's His church. It's not man's church. It's God's church. Amen. Well, let's take a moment to look at Jeremiah chapter 7, if you would please, with me. And while you're turning, let me say that God expected Israel to, to obey His Word, to be obedient to His statutes, His commandments, and His ordinances. How many of you know that? Amen. That's an absolute fact. That is a truth. But not only did He expect that of them... He also expected them to be obedient to His voice. Yes. Did you hear that? Not just that which I have written, but also what I speak you are to obey. And why is that? Why does Numbers 23:19 say that God's not a man that He should lie? If He said it, He'll do it. If He spoke it, He'll make it good. Why does it say those two things? Because God has things written... But it's not all limited to what is written. God also speaks to our hearts. Not everything is written. There are specifics in our lives that God has got to deal with each and every one of us on an individual basis. Every single one of us needs specifics for our lives. And God then will speak to you as to what to do. Look at this verse. Jeremiah 7, 23. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people, and walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. Did you hear that? Did you see both of those aspects there? Listen to my voice and obey my commandments. I gave you the law. Obey my statutes, obey my ordinances, keep my commandments, the things that I have spoken, written unto you, the, 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 those things that are written down there before you. We could say the written word of God. But also, don't limit me just to that. Why does he want them to obey his voice? Because he has to deal with them specifically. And he wants to be involved in the affairs of their lives specifically. So he wanted them to learn to know his voice and obey his voice. Do the things that he would tell them to do. Why? Because he would offer the specifics that they would need for whatever situation they encountered. For example, they failed to enter into the promised land. Why? Because they failed to keep his word. They failed to do what he told them to do. As a result, they didn't enter into the promised land. But secondly, when they entered into the promised land, in order to possess the land, remember this, God spoke to Joshua, who was in leadership, and he gave them a specific battle plan that they were to follow in order to overcome at Jericho. He gave them specific direction for a specific need. In this situation, this is what you are to do. 
You could not go to the law of Moses and find out, this is what you are to do. It wouldn't say it there. You would not find that writing anywhere. When you approach the walls of Jericho, in other words, you are to do this, would not be found in the law of Moses. To be frank about it, I don't think what they did would have been recommended by any military strategist. Do you? Anyone that knows anything about combat would have not instructed them to do what they did. So they couldn't find that direction in the law of Moses. It wasn't written anywhere. So they had to learn also to obey his voice, knowing what? You can trust me. Even in the things I say to you, you can trust me. I will bring them to pass. And they did. They obeyed his voice, did exactly what he said to do. As silly as it was, as ridiculous as it was, they still did it. I'm sure they were tempted to complain about it. They complained about everything, didn't they? And they could have very well been, been tempted to complain about this. You know there was an adversary out there trying to stir up trouble in the camp, trying to get them at least to stop short of the seventh trip around those walls. Amen? But you see, they learned that they had to obey the voice of God as well as His commandments. And so knowing that God spoke to Joshua, who was in leadership, they did what he said to do. The plan unfolded before their eyes. The walls came tumbling down, and they learned a valuable lesson. And what is that? That God will provide specific direction to meet your need, regardless of what the situation is. At the time, you need it. And what he tells you to do at Jericho may not necessarily be what he'll tell you to do elsewhere. How does that pertain to us? We all will encounter situations in our lives and circumstances in which we are going to need direction as far as overcoming is concerned. Lord, what should I do about this? What's the strategy? What's the plan? What's the program? How do we bring this to pass? And if you don't know His voice, if you don't understand how he witnesses to your spirit to let you know that this is what you ought to do, you're now left with what? Well, I don't mean this in any offensive way whatsoever. Yourself. Can you imagine that? Being before the walls of Jericho with your own game plan. Uh, I don't know, Bob, I think this might work. Let's try this. I see Bob stepping back one step at a time. You know, why? Well, go ahead if you want to, but I don't think I'd like to do that. See, God wants to give us our instructions. He wants to tell us what to do. He wants to be involved in all the affairs of our lives. And not everything is written here in the Word of God as far as everyday life is concerned and everyday decisions that we make in life. So what we have to learn to do is not just be full of His Word, but also learn how He ministers to our hearts by the witness of His Spirit. Because primarily, beloved, that's the way He's going to speak to us. It's not going to be a voice coming out of heaven like we all would long to have. It's not always going to be an angel coming down, sounding a trumpet and letting you know with a neon sign flashing, big old arrow saying, this way, this way. It's not going to be that way, for the most part. Mostly, he is going to witness to our spirit. And in so doing, we'll have the direction that we need. But we need to learn how to interpret that witness. I'll tell you something else. We need to learn how to put our spirits in a position to be aware of the witness. We have to learn to develop a sensitivity to His witness. And remember this, if you cut yourself off from this, you are really at a place of disadvantage before your enemy. And you will be in a state of confusion 
And you'll be confounded when you've got to make decisions and choices that really only God can make for you, knowing the outcome. How many of you would want to make a decision knowingly that by making that decision, you're going to have a mess of problems down the road, a heap of trouble that could be devastating to your life and also your family members? You don't want to do that, do you? No, I think not. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. And while you're turning, let me state that when the Holy Ghost speaks to our spirit or witnesses to our spirit, since God is a spirit, all the action or activity takes place in the spirit, and then the spirit will translate what is witnessed or spoken to our spirit to thought. In other words, it'll rise up out of your spirit and then enter into your thoughts. The spirit will translate it to thought inwardly. It is not a thought that's coming outwardly. It is God's action within our spirit, allowing the spirit then, our spirit, to interpret that into thought so that we know what God is saying to us, so that we know what the witness means. Now, for us to develop a sensitivity to this is of utmost importance. If we don't, like I said, we'll be confused when it comes to making important decisions in life. And you'll find yourself asking a ton of people, what should I do? 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 And if they have any sense whatsoever, you know what they'll say to you? What is in your heart to do? Boy, you talk about boing. That's what they were trying to tell me a long time ago. What is in your heart to do? If I would have just read my heart, if I just would have interpreted my heart, I would have known on the inside that God was witnessing to my spirit, get baptized. Now that you're saved, get baptized. See, but I didn't know that. I didn't have this teaching. I didn't know the witness of the spirit. I had no idea the activity that was taking place on the inside of me. And that's why in counseling sessions, very often I'll tell people, what's in your heart? Listen carefully. Don't you start bombarding things into their mind without first asking them, what is in your heart? We're not the Holy Ghost. We cannot tell people what to do. What is in your heart to do? You're trying to find out how God is working in them. And if you can help them interpret that, you'll be a blessing to them. Can you see that? And also, you'll be lining them up with God and His desires for their lives. That's why I'm so sometimes upset when I hear people saying, you know, this one prophesied and told me I was to do this. And that one prophesied and said I'm to do that. And this one said, no, no. They prophesied and said, you're going to do this. And they come to you and say, can you help me straighten all this out? I say, yeah, stop going to A, B, and C. Start trusting God inside you. Amen. Does any of that stuff witness to your spirit? No, I never had none of that inside me. Well, then throw it aside. Don't even give it a second thought. Forget about it. God's not in that. See, God is dealing with you. This is a new covenant, a better covenant, better promises. God is dealing with you as a person. He is telling you on the inside what to do. Which way you should go? What course of action to take? Here's the battle plan. Here's our strategy. This is how we'll make a success out of it. That's what he's doing. But here you are because you don't know how to listen to his voice or because you don't know how to interpret the witness of his spirit trying to have others do it for you. Prophecy is only to confirm something that God has placed in you already. And if it's not there already, saint of God, then forget about it. They cannot tell you what to do. Our prophets of today are not like the prophets of old. Listen carefully. If you want a direction back then under the old covenant, you could go to the prophet and he would tell you. But not under the new covenant. Why? Because you have the Holy Ghost inside you now. 
You have a better covenant, better promises. You have the Holy Ghost inside you now who is living in you and witnessing to your spirit. But you have to be taught to recognize the witness. And that's what's going to put us over. Now, in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to begin reading... Well, look, we're going to read verse 15. But let me just, before we do, state this. The witness of your spirit is like a quiet knowing on the inside. That is so hard to interpret, but that's the only way you can really bring it out to get people's attention. It's a quiet knowing. It's something that you know as well as you know your name. It's a quiet knowing on the inside of me that this is what God wants me to do. It's also like a prompting or an urging on the inside. A prompting just rising up on the inside of you. Urging you to do something. It may not settle right with your mind, but it's coming from within. It's coming up on the inside of you and then it's being translated into thought. Can you see that? That's a witness of the Spirit. It has also a negative side. See, He is leading us to do something as a positive side, but it also can be a negative thing. He could be leading you not to do something. And when it's a prompting or an urging that gives us rest and peace and this is the way, a green light, walking in it, then you just go ahead and flow with that. But if it's a scratchy, like, sensation on the inside, if it's like what we call a gut feeling, like as if someone hits you in your spiritual belly with a fist, you talk about what you're going to do, and while you're talking, you have this gnawing on the inside of you. Like an ugly gut sensation on the inside. What is happening? That's an indicator. See, that's the Holy Ghost witnessing a stop sign, a red light. Don't do it. Don't do it in here. So can you see the green light side of it and the red light side of it? It is something that is taking place. It's an action of God that's taking place in here that will be eventually translated into thought. And you go with that or you flow with that, whether it means green light or red light. Look at the verse here, verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be thankful. Let the peace of God rule, as one translation says, let the peace of God act as an umpire in your heart or in your spirit. What does that mean, act as an umpire? What does an umpire do? An umpire is in control of a game. An umpire makes the calls safe. Out, fair, foul. What's he doing? He's in charge. He is in control. He calls it as he sees it. And if you argue with it, you may be out. But the fact remains, he has a vital role to play in a baseball game. Correct? But now let's bring it over into our Christian lives. The peace of God is to act as an umpire. If I don't have peace inside my spirit, when I say, I'm going to do this, and there's no peace, I lack that tranquility, that rest. There's a gnawing in there. There's like that gut feeling in there. It's as if someone hit me in the belly, the spiritual belly. What is he doing? Acting as an umpire, and he's calling it out. He is saying, don't do it. Don't do it. But if I have peace, if I have that rest inside my spirit, that gentle nudging, prompting, urging, yeah. And you see, it's all interpreted down here. 
and then it rises up into your thought patterns. Listen carefully. Then that's the way you should go. That's your green light. And that's what God would have you to do. God's in it. And you can bank on it. You can rest assured. You can have a sure foundation that this is what God wants me to do. Do you see this? So let the peace of God act as an umpire within your spirit, in your heart, in your life. And that peace means, yes, go ahead. But unrest means, no, that's not what you are to do. Now, if you read the verse in context, you'll learn how to keep your spirit tender and sensitive before God so that you can be in a position to know the witness of the Spirit. Let's begin at verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy, beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. In a nutshell, it says, be holy, merciful, humble, meek, and patient. Those characteristics or attributes will help keep your spirit tender before God so that the witness of your spirit is clear. If your spirit is clouded with the opposite of all these things, unholiness, unmerciful, unkind, impatient, what happens? You see, you're not sensitive. You can cloud your spirit and his sensitivity to the witness of God's Spirit. And it's not that God is not witnessing, it's that that witness is clouded because of what we're allowing to take place. Let's read on. Forbearing one another. You know what that means? Putting up with each other. Come on, commit to somebody. I'll put up with you if you'll put up with me. Uh, that's one way to say it, isn't it? Thank God for His forbearance. He put up with us. Amen. Did He put up with you? But you see, if you're not like that, you'll cloud your spirit and its sensitivity to His witness. Now, let's read on. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If you're not walking in forgiveness, you'll cloud your spirit and its sensitivity to His witness. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Above all these things, put on charity. What's the most important thing? to maintaining a tender heart and a sensitive spirit toward the witness of God is be committed to divine love. Put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which you are also called in, in one body and be thankful. A spirit of ingratitude will cloud the witness of the spirit. So we have to remember that. If you're always murmuring, complaining, and moaning, and, and crying because of your situation, woe's me, you're going to cloud your spirit, and you won't be sensitive. Be thankful for what you have will do what? Give place to a tender heart and a sensitive spirit toward the things of God. Do you see that? Be thankful. And then finally, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Wow, what a key. Be full of the Word, not the words. And if you'll do these things, he is saying, you will develop a tender heart that is trained to become aware of the witness of the Spirit. God's Spirit witnessing to your spirit so that what He witnesses in trans is translated into thought so you know how to act on what God would have you to do and make right choices and right decisions in your life. If we'll do these things, in other words, our spirit will be tender, it will be developed, it will be trained, it will be sensitive, and you will slowly but surely learn how to flow with God. He will then lead you and guide you in all the affairs of your life, showing you what course of action to take, revealing to you what plan or strategy you need, a battle plan, a strategic move, or whatever it is that you need to get the job done. He'll guide you. He'll show you areas that you need improved in. Whatever it is, you'll have a witness inside your spirit that will be clear and distinct. If we don't do those things he just mentioned there, what happens? The witness becomes unclear and indistinct. You see? And the people don't know what to do. I'm confused. 
Don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, man, just tell me where to go to school. Tell me what career to, 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 to you know, pursue. Tell me who to marry. Tell me what job to take. Tell me where I should live. Tell me when to sneeze. not it. God wants you to depend on Him. His Word and His Spirit. And what you get from your brother or sister should only be a word of confirmation. Not a mandate. Let me just close quickly by saying some, one fellow said to me one time, he came into my office and said, I've had hands laid on me, I've been prophesied over, and I've been told I'm going into foreign lands I'm going to be a teacher and a prophet and I'm going to accomplish these great things for God and lead multitudes to Jesus. He said, I have one problem. I said, what's that? What's a prophet do? I said, brother, did God witness any of this to your spirit before they ever prophesied on you? He said, oh no, but they're prophets. I said, so in other words, they just told you what to do with your life and God didn't say a thing down here. They said, he said, no. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I said, you've just begun. Disassociate. Get hooked up with God. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.